0: Welcome to the self-helpful podcast. I'm Kevin Miller. I hunt for the latest and greatest authors and experts in self-help and ask them the in-depth questions I'm curious about for my own growth. I bring these conversation series to you so we can learn and grow together. In this episode, we all wake up every day. We participate in what we feel is simply our reality, right? yet it's truly a storyline we've created or accepted or, or maybe feel we're forced to live. And in that case, we agreed and just submitted to it. So for you, which one of those resonates? And this is not some hoodoo guru motivational look at this, that life is just some make-believe and we simply decide to have it be something else better all of a sudden. That's kind of offensive. But it is interesting how we live our daily lives and then something happens, like marriage, children, getting hired or fired from a job. An injury, or even a windfall of money, and our story totally changes. I mean, if that's the case, can't we not only do things to change our stories for the better, but can we also even just change our perspectives of our stories right away and make things better right away? So, I have with me here in this episode, Kendra Hall. Kendra is the she's a, a best-selling author and the former Chief Storytelling Officer of Success Magazine. Her work and research teaches individuals and brands to harness and leverage the power of their stories. Her first book, Stories That Stick, debuted at number two on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. Forbes said it may be the most valuable business book that you read. com said her newest book, which we're talking about today, Choose Your Story, Change Your Life, is the business book you need to read in 2022. I, however, read the book. Again, it's called Choose Your Story, Change Your Life. You can get it anywhere. I felt it was a must-have conversation for all of us, any striving, aspiring person. And what follows is my, actually my longest interview to date because the topics were just so profoundly important. We just kept on going. I felt it was necessary. You can find Kendra's book again, anywhere you can connect with her at KendraHall.com. And if you find value from this self-helpful podcast, this episode, subscribe, leave a review about the episode. Best of all, you're going to hear some things that you're going to want to talk with some other people about. It'll benefit you both. You can find me always on social media or my website, kevinmiller.co. So next up, Kendra Hall and really a nitty gritty discussion on what power we have to revise the story we are living in. Kendra, the name of my podcast is Self-Helpful. And a month ago, Amazon Review that you got says, finally, here's a book that takes the stale repetition of self-help and leaves it in the dust. If you are a self-help pro or you are new to the genre, this book will blow you away. Inner critic be gone. I could not pass that up. So thanks for being here.
1: I'm so so thrilled to be here. And you know, thank you for that because I try not to read the reviews. And so I didn't know that someone said that. So it's very exciting for me. My author heart just skipped a couple of beats. Good. <laughs> that was,
0: that was my goal. I actually think I was looking back and I couldn't find the email. I think it might have been Rory Vaden who yeah. said, you got to have Kendra. And I know he's, uh, endorses the book and I've had him on the show. I saw Anthony trucks in there. He was on, yeah, uh, not too long ago. And I saw Dave Hollis in there who we haven't had on the show. They've sent us all his stuff. So we may get there as well, but, um, great. I like the recommendations. it gives me context That's uh, good it's good yeah hey this your your topic, Kendra I mean this is one that you know we've talked about so much, I talk about it comes up on the show, and I really i mean the reason that we 're here is I, I just want to hit it head on and mm-hmm. some of the issues that I see with story i mean it was it was i think it was Donald Miller who Back in the day, I don't know how long it's been since he wrote a million miles in a thousand years and living a good story. And that really brought me into story for the first Mm -hmm. time, but it was still based on, Hey, this is what I did, what I perceived in my life. So I'm going to go do these other things so that I have a different trajectory. And it was still based on that. Well, I was gonna say what actually happens, but what we think actually happens. And that's where we all seem to be. And you're saying, no, you can choose your story. Today. And that's, you know, that that's just so difficult for people. Easily said yeah. and hard to do.
1: You know, it's interesting that you mention that book because I remember reading it many years ago and having this. It was actually a catalyst book yeah. for me. Me too. Um, in the, but almost in. The op- an oppositional direction. Okay. Um. To for for the exact thing that you just said. Of course, there is there is one there is one approach which was in that book that if you don't like your life story, do different things so that you can create a different life. Um. And for me, I remember thinking, but there's so much in our life already material there that we can use and and so often we overlook the stories of where we've already been what we've already accomplished what we've already overcome and and we're always focused on what what new material can i create what sure. new stuff can i can i do and and really choose your story change your life was written as a guide to go through where you've already been there. There are there are tools there. There are stories there that can m- help motivate you, move you in the direction that you want to go. So it doesn't have to be all new because that seems like such a daunting task. We have we have so much that we can use that's already happened.
0: Well, obviously I agree. That's why you're here and yeah. why, why I've been digging in your book. I do want, I really want to press in though on the areas that I see As I say, I see people, but I still do it. I still am a victim to uh, falling to that, to thinking my story's only going to change based upon what I do and what I change in the future. I mean, even the title of your book, Choose Your Story, Change Your Life. Okay, in health, Mm -hmm. in my intellectual wellness that I'm sitting in currently with, uh, you know, I'm feeling good. I'd say, okay, that feels positive. It feels freeing. It's incredibly uh, monumentally empowering. Mm -hmm. However over here on the pain, the anger, the hurt side, I could look at that and go, that's kind of threatening and maybe even offensive to mm-hmm. say really. So it's, it validates how I feel or what I feel victimized by. I mean, you know, this stuff, but I, I, yep. I just, I know that that's what goes in and out of our minds. It's what we see in the media that it is what is it is. And you're saying, no, you can change it. I mean, maybe hit on that, that, to a yeah. lot of people that can feel very threatening. Yeah. And even especially from a, a victimization standpoint can feel kind of offensive.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. And that's one of the things that, uh, yeah, I knew was, um, it was a, a risk, I suppose, sure. of this approach. Um, and at the same time, and of course on different, different degrees, but for people who experience trauma or, or devastation on all different levels. Um, there, there is a way to, and and it doesn't happen immediately. You have to go through that trauma. Sometimes it requires professional help. Like there is, and certainly my expertise is storytelling and some of the most, um, Empowering, inspiring people that I've known are the ones who took those traumas and used those stories as look at what I've already been through and look at what I can overcome and use those as the building blocks for going forward. Um, and, and how when you are ready for that, uh, how empowering that really can be
0: so speak to that being ready for that so here i am with a trauma that has handicapped me that is mm-hmm. is, is is tragic i mean you know of course we've got trauma on a spectrum and we can have yeah. something very technically non-tragic that's debilitating for someone either way they're sitting in that trauma and what would you say is a telltale sign that you are or are not ready to move
1: uh- yeah. To move forward, yeah. to move forward from that. You know, I think it's it's a, it's extremely personal. It's extremely individualized. But there is a a feeling that feeling of um, of being the victim of your story. And, um, and sometimes that is the feeling that we need to feel. And we wrap ourselves in that. It's a feeling that, that is, allows for healing and, and, and all of the things that we need to recover from that. Um, but when the point comes, when you're ready for the next thing, when you're ready to move next forward up over whatever that is, then that is a symbol to you. That's a signal to say, okay, how can I look at what is what pieces of this trauma, what pieces of this story are keeping me where I am, and what pieces of it can I use, even if they're fragments, to uh, move me forward? It, it's interesting. I was just having, and this is this is tangential in a way, but it it was on my mind just a couple of days ago. We were listening to my kids, and I were working on an art project together and we were listening to the Hamilton soundtrack. Yeah. They just they love listening to that Hamilton soundtrack and they know it well and you know they know they know the whole story. And my son, he's 11. He said, "You know what, mama, so many of our the founding fathers had really terrible things happen." He was asking about the line where Hamilton's like, "My mom died, my dad left, my cousin killed himself when I was living with him. I had to, you know, and all of those." And he said and he he just rose to such great yeah. heights. And even he then was thinking to himself like, wow, that cause you, you have, there's two, there's two options. There it can be, well, I can't get anywhere because all these terrible things have happened to me or because of these terrible things, I've found ways up and around or through or beyond these terrible things. And I can use those stories to keep me going in the right direction.
0: I like how you said pieces of that because if we look at these, let's look at just baseline. You know, traumas that somebody was neglected, abused. You know, orphaned. They were poor. They were bullied. They were raped. They were cheated on. Whatever it is, I mean, those things happened. And I, you know, you do a great job I feel like in the book of you're not saying to take that and oh make something nice out of that. Yeah, no. But the pieces of it to say okay, that yep. was terrible, that was horrific, I would never wish that on anyone. I wish it didn't happen to me. But what from that can I use? Is that fa- it's elementary, but is yep, that Yeah, fair-
1: exactly. Yeah. No, that's ex- that's exactly it. We have this uh I found that you know there's this belief that to overcome a really big to put it in very basic terms, yeah. uh really big negative story we need really big positive stories in order to offset it but that isn't really how the balance works there are there are moments in that negative story that maybe maybe there was a moment where um, a teacher showed you kindness or reached out and gave you the support that you needed maybe there was a moment of ingenuity in your in your own self where you figured something out that helped you. Uh, survive whatever, whatever it was. And those very small moments that could be seen then as positive pieces of that story, we, we, they, they can get lost in the in the bigness and the vastness of the negative, which is fine and totally like that's that's the normal thing. However, there is an opportunity to go back and say, okay, there was this really Terrible thing that happened, but there was this really great moment with this person. Lean into that story, retell that story, and say, you know, if you're, if you're, uh, use it as a rung of the ladder to climb out, or if you're facing another situation, uh, instead of going back to this always happens to me, this always happened, this negative thing always happens to me, go back to the piece of that story where when something terrible is happening, there are always people who show up who can help me through and retell those stories. Or when something terrible is happening to me, I always find a way to figure, figure out how to get around it. Um, Like that one time when, and then go back and retell yourself that story. But yeah, they can be little moments. And again, that's the, that's the choice is to see those small stories and use them as like the, the Trojan horse.
0: Yeah. You, you, well, to go back to the review mm-hmm. that you got on the on the book uh, about self-help uh, with the reference there, I feel, and it's part of what I effort to do, endeavor to do on this show, is to say, this is, this is hard. This self-help mm-hmm. stuff, this improvement, this growth, this stuff is hard. This is not easy stuff. I think we downplay that. Don't give it the gravity that it really is to change ourselves. And in regards to that, Kendra, you said, I think you used the word repetition. So when we take this... Again, this trauma, this negative thing, this something holding us back, limiting us, limiting beliefs, that kind of deal. And look at, okay, I need to retrain, reprogram, uh, retell that story. Talk to us about that process. You said something to the effect of repetition. This is not something that you're going to do. And tomorrow morning, you're going to wake up and man, I got a new story.
1: Right, right. I think that is, and when I think about that uh, review that you read at the top of our time together. Why that's so satisfying for me to read is I I w- I didn't want this to be just on on a on a vast scale of personal development just hey you can change your life if you, you know, here's how you change your life and then to bring it down a level and to say you are the author of your own story and just kind of l- say a lot of those words but yeah. without any formula or system or approach and so I in the book lay out a essentially a four-step process for um, make using stories using our ourselves stories the stories we tell ourselves to change ourselves in in the ways that that we want to grow um, and so it's very yeah it's, it is it's a it's a methodical approach that, is never is never done. Right it, it's so funny. It reminds me of uh like the game whack-a-mole even myself here, right? Like I I I wrote the book, I've been applying this methodology to my life for as long as I can remember and now helping others use it. But and you know you'd think then that oh I've got it all figured out but it's no, because then then all of a sudden this other limiting belief pops up that I didn't know was there. Or it's evolved from 10 years ago and I got to whap it down with the stories that I tell myself. And then another one comes up. So this is a constant. Yeah. When you say repetition, I think any growth, because growth by definition is active, right? It, yeah. It's progress. It keeps happening. Um, and so working with your stories is is going to continue to be an act that you need to participate in.
0: I, I absolutely love the whack-a-mole analogy uh, <laughs> as, my da- <laughs> as my dad's favorite game, but, but it is great. It speaks to that. I struggle again in this industry of the thought of we address an issue and we're just going to eradicate that, right? No fear. Yeah. And yep. I'm found out at least my own life. I don't know if I've eradicated anything, but I have gotten really a lot better at whacking that mole as soon mm-hmm. as it comes up, I may even have some where i I feel a little uh i feel so good i I know it's coming i'm gonna I got that thing ready before it even pops up, but it's gonna,
1: absolutely but
0: it's gonna come, and I appreciate that that it still exists there i mean i'm not gonna get rid of that trauma it's kind of like the uh forgive, but you may never forget I, it probably that's that's a scar that's not gonna go away
1: yeah and it's and it's good uh, it's good to know your stories and it's good to know what those limiting beliefs are. And just over time, you will get better at (laughs) whacking the mole. Right. So, so I had a, a a limiting belief that, that I write about in the book um, that, that I, I know. So I, I have many, many, but one that I always struggle with is, or that I struggled with for a really long time was, related to imposter syndrome yeah. and in particular which i think many people struggle with and in particular the physical manifestation of it before i would give a keynote speech now keep in mind a little bit of background i was on the speech team as a child like i have mm-hmm. been speaking my in like 30 years um for exactly 30 years. So this is not this is not something I'm new at. I am in no way an imposter at it. I've spoken competitively, I've spoken for many many audiences, for many different um, of many different sizes and many different industries. Like this is something I am extremely good at. And yet for a long time Every time I'd be standing backstage about to go on stage to give my presentation, my keynote, uh, sometimes it was days leading up to it. Sometimes it was weeks leading up to a particular keynote I would go into. And I knew it was so um, dramatic that my husband, when it was days or weeks leading up, he would say, "Oh, okay, we're going into the dark place," uh, because I would just crumble from the inside out with um, that that inner critic of "You don't belong there. You don't have anything to offer them. Who do you think you are? This is they're going to see right through you." And my area of expertise, of course, is storytelling. So I was always talking to audiences about storytelling in business. And despite the fact that I'd been doing that for years, that I had the research that this was, it was really debilitating to the point where I almost thought I should quit my job because I was so hmm. miserable. Um, now keep in mind, this is a job I am extremely good at. This is a job I was meant to, I made it up myself. Like I created my dream yeah. job. I was really good at it and I wanted to quit. And it was all because of, um, a, an inner critic that was allowed to run rampant. And so I used self stories to silence that critic and make it so that the imposter syndrome really had no power over me anymore. And it required repetition. It required. So I had a few chosen chosen stories. We can, we can talk about that more in depth if you'd like, but I would tell myself those stories Every time in the hotel room, before going over down to the ballroom, before going backstage, right before I went on stage, I was telling myself these stories that helped silence the inner chatter of you don't belong here, who do you think you are, and made it so that I could step onto the stage not in misery. Now, that being said, um, I remember coming back. So I got, I really got that under control. For I, I got that under control. But then I remember coming back. Two in-person keynote events after, you know, right. a year and a half off of doing it virtually. And suddenly my inner critic, a, a mole that I had already whacked into submission, saw an opportunity and it came back and said, you don't know how to do it on stage anymore. You don't know what you're, you're not this sit. you're only good if you're sitting in your studio, filming it from behind a computer screen. And I was, I was shocked that my inner critic had the audacity Mm -hmm. to come back with that same thing. And so so I was ready for it. I have a big event coming up uh, in just a few weeks that is an international event. And almost, I would say, 95% of the audience doesn't speak English. So I will be Mm -hmm. translated. And I have an old story of another time where I went into an audience that didn't speak English, and it just wasn't, it didn't click. And so, of course, my inner critic's like, you're gonna, you're going to bomb this is going to be terrible, but like you said, I knew that was coming, and so I went the extra mile to talk to the uh, event coordinators to, to to make sure that my content was set up for success for that audience because I knew that, that that inner critic, that story was going to come back to get me.
0: that I don't know that I've had anyone on the show who does not deal with imposter syndrome, um, including me. And Mm. that's one, again, it comes up a lot. And I think I've just made peace with it, that that mole is there. And I just have to tell myself the story of, gosh, everybody, you know, says the shows are great. And Look at the download numbers and apparently it's good. I still am ner- I was thinking about this yesterday as I was going through your book. I have my process of reviewing the books. and I do it and I let it set a while, but then I really ramp up at the end. And I have a little nerve. I've had a little nervousness since yesterday that I know is not going to end until you pop onto the camera exactly. and we say, hi then yep, I'm good. Yep, and, yep. And, but I have to remember that story and go, Kevin, you're going to you know, have your little nervousness and and wonder if it's going to be good. And then you're going to go in and do what you do well. And I have to remind myself. And it's so weird. Again, I, it, it, but it goes against that eradication. I have not gotten rid of it. Am I going to be here in 20 years? But what you said, I really appreciate, it, Kendra, that it's an inner critic, which is okay. We need an inner critic. We need something Absolutely. to harness us or, or a psychopath. But if it's allowed to run wild, and I have I have tasted that a little bit, and thought I don't know if I want to keep doing this. It's just ugh, the anxiety if yes. I let it run wild, and that I like. It's it's again not eradicating an inner critic, but you're saying tether it, harness it. I don't know, put it on a leash. Know
1: how to know how to deal know how to deal with it, okay. and know what works for you. So so let's go to this example, and this is why. Like I wanted to be very specific for people, so they would know what to actually do. Um, So for me, for example, uh, dealing with this imposter syndrome before I got on stage uh, and whether it was minutes before, hours before, days or weeks before, whatever it was. Um, And so I thought to myself, okay, I know what to do. I'm going to tell myself the stories. And when I say tell myself the stories, when you're first doing this, it's really important to see it as a full story. Like think back to a specific time. You know, so you kept, you could think back to the most recent interview you did when the face popped up on the computer screen yeah. and you were like, oh, there he or she is. Oh, right. I know exactly. And to see it in that detail, to yeah. retell it to yourself as you would tell a story to a kid going to bed at night, um, with the details, with the emotions, so that it really, so that it really sticks. It's memorable. Um and so for me, what I tried doing was telling myself the stories of times that I got on stage and the audiences loved me and they and they I got hired for another event or I got a standing ovation or the energy was just because you have you know, there's there's some interviews where it's just like, oh, that was so good. And then you get the responses and and, and people are loving it. So I, I did that. I told myself those stories. You know what? Didn't work. My inner critic is evolved enough to say, yeah, yeah, that worked that time. However, you were wearing different shoes and you were in this kind of ballroom, not a convention center. And the audience was 50% women versus 75% men. And my inner critic is so advanced which all of us have our inner critics are advanced in different areas of our life um that those stories of wow i know that i'm really great didn't didn't put a dent it almost made it worse so i had to i had to approach it in with a different story so instead i went back through my career and Found stories of times when things went totally wrong Hmm. and I still nailed it. So, I have a story of a time that I woke up at like 3 a.m. the morning before a huge keynote with a brand new agent. I needed to, there were a lot of people I needed to impress. And it was my first time speaking for a tech company. And it wasn't 60 minutes, which is my normal amount of time, it was 90, which is difficult. And I woke up at 3 a.m. with the stomach flu oh, no. like the I, I won't go into the details but it was not good wow. um, and I was at that time I had a little rental car I was in rural uh, Midwest and so I showed up at the sound check which was at 7 a.m. and I said everybody you need to stand back um, things aren't good this was year. this was before uh, everyone was in masks this is right. many years ago um, I did my sound check I found an urgent care. Raced to the urgent care. They tested me for whatever. They gave me medicine that would stop the nausea. Raced back to the event. Told the AV crew to put a bucket off stage for me. And if I happened to walk towards that bucket, I know this is graphic, but, yeah. but this is what I had to be that detail. If I walked towards that bucket, they were supposed to turn off my microphone so that not everybody needed to hear what was happening over wow. there. So, so it was, and I crushed That one. I had another one of a time that my flights got canceled. I had like two hours of sleep and I was speaking for 10,000 people and I crushed that event. Another one when all the power went out. There was no power, no microphone, no slides, no nothing. And I could keep going. And those were the only stories that were good enough when I relived them in my mind that my critic was like, yeah, you're right. And not only that, it also reshaped, which is a really important part of this whole um of this whole conversation, is that it reshaped so that if things do go terribly awry, wow, I am going to have a story to tell. I'll have another story that I can use to remind myself of the fact that I really belong here. So it was only those stories that would quiet the inner critic. Um and knowing that about yourself, trying a few stories on for size is a really important part of, of defeating, yeah. uh, that, that, that loud voice in your head.
0: I've never thought of it. Uh, thank you. That was worth the price of admission. We can go, we can go now. <laughs> Seriously. I, I do the opposite. And you look at, yeah, when things go right. And you have me thinking about, so I, I was a pro cyclist and I had a race in Cincinnati, Ohio, And uh, forgot my shoes at the hotel. Uh, the sponsors put us up at a hotel, forgot my shoes. And, uh, I don't know why, I guess there wasn't anybody there to go get them. Anyways, I jumped in the car, raced back. This is before cell phones and all that jazz. So you can't talk to people, got back and walked onto the course with my bike in front of the start line with my teammates, trying to hold off the start of the race. And I got my shoes on. We started and I won the race off the front solo. And I've never thought about anchoring to that, as opposed to when I feel prepared, when the warm up went well, and even now, and uh, that's an interesting. That's we can all do that.
1: Well, and and to and and to, you don't have to get don't get tripped up either in the fact that well that was about cycling. No, no, no. That is an innate characteristic that you have. Mm. That even when things go awry. Even when, even when, because I know that one of the stories that I tell myself, I'm sure, even just listening to you talk about how you prepare for a conversation, um, one of the things that can pop up is you're not prepared enough. You're sure. not prepared enough, and and you can use even that story right there. Say, no, I have been, I was prepared, and things still went wrong. And I still was able to win the race. And that is a transferable story. It's not only relevant Mm. if you're cycling, it's relevant to all areas of your life, to everything that you do. Uh,
0: You saying your inner critic was evolved enough. That's, that's a hot button for me. I find that. I I don't know if it's fair to say, but you know, the more intellectual, even self-aware people are the ones that are often most prone to discount themselves. And yet I find it's not that they're negative. It's just, they're they're smart. They're smart Mm -hmm. enough to go. Yeah, but this could happen. So they're good at planning. They're good at looking out for what could go wrong. And they do that and discount themselves. Meanwhile, somebody who may not be as self-aware just goes along and paints a good story and goes and does it. And we're sitting here feeling stupid. And, And I, this occurred to me, I actually write about, I have an upcoming book and I write about an instance in there with somebody who was, I was part of an organization and, somebody I didn't think real highly of. I didn't think they were real smart and intellectual and doggone it. They went and just blew everybody away and it left yeah. me sitting there going, we we're re- we're so smart. It's hurting us.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yep. And, and I think that that, and so this is, this is a, again, that, that it's built into us. And yeah. just like anything, just like all of our eyes are different color and our, our heights are different. You know, we have, we have different, I believe that our inner critics are Built likely differently, and whether that's something again, don't I have not researched this, but just anecdotally, um, whether it's over time or whether it's something that we're born with or whatever it is. So that's why it's really important that you spend some time with your own critic and knowing I I remember. So when I was doing the research for this book, um, I took a group of participants through the process of self storytelling. And there were, there were a few people, there were a few people who just glided right through it. It was, it was, Oh my gosh, this is it. This is how da, da, da. And there were a, there were a, a couple where their overactive inner critic was we had to get really uh, we, we had to we had to use our our conscious, intelligent brain to outsmart a very intelligent inner critic, exactly what you're saying. and um And there were moments in that process where it almost felt impossible. Yeah. Uh but then once you get it, once they got it, it was and this is part of the reason where um where like future storytelling uh or or someone will, I've been asked a lot. Okay, so I want to choose a better story, can I visualize one? Mm-hmm. Right? Can I can I make one up? Yes. And that is a very if you're struggling with an inner critic on of any scale of uh, of criticalness, um, that is a very advanced technique because the inner like if I try to write a if I try to write a, a forward fictional visualized story that I'm going to retell to myself. I know my inner critic's like uh 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 that hasn't happened yet. No, 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 that isn't that isn't true. Um so that's why I spend most of my self story going back through actual events, stories, experiences from my life that my inner critic can't disagree with. It, it was there for those moments too. Um so yeah, it it helps to you know, fact is Often more powerful, more interesting than fiction is is how the quote goes. So to lean into that.
0: I mean, you make a big, I don't know, not a big statement, but just a profound one that our stories determine the results we get in life. That is a very daunting statement that the stories, because the stories, and this, this is back to just base level elementary stuff, but we... I'm blown away with myself and with my experience of others that we honestly believe the stories that we write. Mm -hmm. So X happened often, not an objective reality, rarely, probably an objective reality, or or maybe it is, there was a car wreck, but it was a wreck that kept you from tumbling off a cliff. If you wouldn't have had the right, whatever it is. Yeah. It's not, you know, so, so seldom an objective reality. And yet X happened. Well, let's go to your, let's go to your graph.
1: Yep. 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 So this is, and we, we mentioned this at the very top of the conversation. So, so there's, there is an, there's an event or let's even say a decision to, to make, right? So we, we think that there is an event or a decision we take action. So that's part three and then we get our results and you know, those results compound over time and we live the life. We have the life that we have, which is not, wrong, but really what I wanted to where the statement of our lives are, are built on the stories we tell ourselves is that there is this tiny, almost imperceptible slice of time that happens between the event or the decision we're about to make and the action. And
0: I'm flipping through your book here because I, (laughs) I, I I love the visual. Yeah. That we have event this happened, here's my response, here's a result. I mean, that is hardwired into it. It's amazing that even as I think about my kids, I mean, that is just our innate nature. This event happened, here's my response, you know, and here's here's a result. And it's a fact. It's yeah. I believe it, it, it happened. And of course, you have two different people who saw that. And I've experienced this. My gosh, if you're in a marriage, you've experienced this. That the X <laughs> happened, and you relate it to somebody, your spouse relates it the next day, and you're going, What on earth are you talking about? yeah a- and, and these polarized things, and of course, then you start the debate about the objective reality that doesn't exist. Yep. It was just an event that we each have a as you've put in there, and I'm looking at your little graphic drawing here. the story in between the event and the response is is pretty much everything
1: well, and we can and and the key here is that that those stories happen subconsciously we yeah. we tell ourselves stories so that we take or don't take certain actions, and that then is the is the delta in your life that is where the change can be made so often when we want to make and this is what happens with um even as we talk about habits and personal growth um we when we want to make a change in our life we s- we start with changing the responses we have to things. We start with change, trying to change the actions that we take. So, let's say I want to get in better shape. And so, I immediately go right to I need to eat better and I need to exercise more, you know, eat less or move more, whatever, whatever that like. Those are the actions. And so, what do I do? I create I create workout plans. I make meal plans. I do all, I, uh, we all do a whole variety of different things. If this is one of the, one of the things we want to change about our life. However, I mean, I know what I'm supposed to eat and not eat. I know that I, if I have a goal to lose weight or not feel so bloated, I can't eat the pizza and beer every night, right? Right. Like that I need, there are, and yet. I still take that action, right? Or uh, I find myself stuck in a place of inaction, unable to actually put the shoes on my feet and go for a jog. And that right there. So if we're only focusing on the actions, um, sometimes it works. I mean, I've had times in my life where it worked great. I was focused on my actions and I was able to make some changes. But more often than not, uh, where we need to look is that moment in time right before the action or inaction that will lead to results that will create change in our life and use it as an opportunity to explore the stories we tell ourselves in that moment and choose better ones. So, For example, can I give you, let me give you an example of this in action. Um, December 2020, I know 2020 is a four-letter word, but just go back there with me for a a minute. Um, I had fully fallen off my exercise regimen. Now, I am not a cyclist, but I am a passionate group fitness spin attendee like i love going to spin class that is my jam um i have a bike at my house that i can ride on my own and i i had it in december 2020 but of course december 2020 i'm in new york city there was very little group cycling happening yeah. and after a sustained period of time my body was really feeling it i was lethargic i'd put on the pounds etc and i really wanted to have, take better action, different action. Like I wanted to make that change, but I just couldn't, I know how to do it. I have all of the things, I have the clothes, I have the playlists, I have the bike, I have everything I need. And I couldn't get myself to go there. Um, And I was actually at that time in the middle of writing this book. And I realized, I I said, you know, I wonder if a self story could work here. I wonder if a story hmm. could get me past this this place of inaction to take action to get the results that I want. So I went through my life and instead of being like, oh, this is, it sucks. they I can't work out the way I want to. I can't go into a group fitness class, right? That's where you start to get, you tell yourself all the reasons why you can't. Yeah. I instead decided to take a different strategy, which was to tell myself stories of other times in my life where I had kept the promise to myself to exercise and how great that Felt. Um, and there were a few moments. I mean, there have been many moments, one, but a few that really stood out to me. One was several springs ago. We went to a friend's wedding. I remember exactly where the wedding was. It was in a yard outside. It was a beautiful April evening in Arizona, which, if, you're, if you've ever been to Arizona in April, it's magical. I remember the dress I was wearing. I remember the shoes. I remember feeling so strong and beautiful. And in fact, I remember specifically a woman coming up to me and saying, you are just radiant. Mm. And, and even just retelling myself that story, I felt this, like I can feel it now. As I say it, there was like a physical response to it, like goosebumps on my arms. I had another story that I told myself. And then, and then one um, final story was, it was back many years ago when I was in graduate school and I was about to go on a first date with a Kid I called Pool Boy, he had a real name, but I only called him pool boy um and the reason we even met is because he was the lifeguard at the pool where I had been swimming laps, I felt so strong, I felt so healthy, and I remember when he opened the door, I opened the door t- for him to take me out on our first date, and I remember exactly what I was wearing, and I remember him looking at me and saying. Wow. Now, this isn't about external validation, like, oh, people think I'm pretty if I work out. This is about how I felt yeah. in that moment. I was like, I just felt so good. So let me tell you, December 2020, I found a handful of those stories. I wrote them down in my journal one morning. You know, one of those mornings where I was just like, enough is enough. I can't, I can't live like this anymore. So I write, wrote those stories down in my journal. One of the stories I had was like, well, I need to be here for my kids. No. I, gave my kid, I told my kids, I'm like, I'm going outside to ride the bicycle unless somebody is bleeding or choking. And then I said, no, you know what? Don't even eat. Just don't eat anything for the next 45 minutes. Play your video games. I'm going out on my bicycle and I'm going to ride. And I did. It was those stories that made me feel such a way that made me take the action. And that was the beginning of me regaining control of my physical health uh, after 2020
0: kendra you mentioned goosebumps and that's really where i wanted to go with this next one I mean, we're talking about back to your graph i'm looking in the book again you know event response result between event and response is that immediate story and as i have been studying the book and in your message here thinking that it's it's this is my emotional response. So mm-hmm. this thing, this event happened. And before my action that I actually take, I have this emotion and, and to be candid and my listeners know that that's, this is where I'm in my own therapy is dealing with emotions that I actually have them. I always have, even though I have not paid attention to them. So mm. it's an acute place right now of going, okay, this, this happened and looking at myself and going, wow, here's this emotion. What do I do with that? Part of my therapy was getting Brene Brown's, new book, yes. Atlas of the heart, where she has yes. 87 emotions, you know, and I'm familiar with one pretty much. <laughs> right. Right. And lo- so right. looking at that and going, okay, we have this. And, and to that degree, as I'm reading your message again in, in here thinking, man, we are all programmed, go back to, I mentioned spouses that this mm-hmm. event happens. We both have an innate, wiring programming whatever an emotional setup that's going to respond to what happens when that kid uh, gets injured you know mine from a sports background maybe may think cool man he's really in it first blood you know and my wife is terrified and it's an emotional response it's preset there so this this event happens and we already have a pathway that's wired to take us down this way if we don't stop and go okay wait and deal with that emotion is that I see you thinking. Oh my
1: gosh. Yeah, I'm thinking because you just ripped uh, uh, something wide open in me where it's just so that's where I'm talking about these um that this self-storytelling is a an ongoing process. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. It's about that emotional response and and identifying that and then deciding whether or not uh you want to to shift the emotions that you have. So I literally just, this is the the example that you gave right there is you and and physical pain for your children, right? Right. And how you're like, oh man, that's great. And how your wife is terrified. And so just yesterday, um, my kids got bicycles. We we had moved to New York City 4 years ago, so it's been 4 years since either of them have been on a bike. My son had learned how to ride a bike, my daughter hadn't. Mm. And so my son was remem- you know getting on a it's like riding a bike and he was able to get on. Um my daughter was learning and I couldn't do it. Uh I had to walk away I because like the this this fear of them falling, of them scraping their knees and um and my husband is like so he's the one that does the bike riding. He's the one that even takes them to playgrounds. I hate going to playgrounds and and it's just something that in our marriage we've let be. Uh it's something that I've let be. I haven't it's not something that I've tackled until you said that right there because I remember yesterday. I went back to the house um, and I thought to myself, it was just a, it was a whisper on the wind. So I didn't even really to say, I thought to myself is, is giving it too much weight. Uh, it was a whisper on the wind hmm. that I let go because I didn't want to deal with it. That said, I wish I could be there watching my daughter learn something new on her, like learn how to ride a bike. I wish I could be there, but, but it went away and I'm so bogged down in these emotions about not wanting to see them have physical pain. And so, yeah. So now I have a choice to make, and this is where, like, I, I'm ready to not feel that way. So, so let's, can I briefly go through? So here's the process. You're going to watch this happen real time here. Uh, the four step process is to catch a self story in the actor's catch a limiting belief. The second uh step is to analyze it. Where is this where is the story coming from? Is it real? The third one is to choose better stories, choose a chosen story to not have it be a subconscious invisible automation but to take back control of the story you're telling yourself there and then step four which you had mentioned earlier is I call it installation but essentially it is um, a intentional uh, repetition to choose this chosen yeah. story again and again so for me right there you saw me catch it I'm like wait I, I have this thing where mama doesn't mama Mama doesn't watch physical events because she can't handle you getting hurt Right. okay well do i want that anymore in my life maybe not so now the next step is to analyze where does that come from now i'm not going to do that here because i have a whole you know that that is a very uh that's a very personal again it is a very intimate personal journey however even just one i never broke a bone growing up so even like the the inexperience with extreme physical pain uh, means hmm. that there's a void there in those stories. And I, so I don't know that you can break your arm and come back from it. Uh, the only broken bone story I have is when my brother broke his arm and it was really traumatic personally for me. Um, and I'd forgotten about that story until we were talking about it hmm. right here, right now. Right. So, so I'm like, okay, where's this coming from? I can go deeper into where those stories are. I can get, um, I can get an outsider's perspective. I can ask my husband. I could ask my parents. I could ask my brother about his experience. He was the one who actually broke his arm. Uh, And then comes the act of choosing better stories. And then what I would do is anytime now the kids want to ride their bicycle for that fourth step, I would sit down for be like, you know what? I'll meet you out there. And I would retell myself whatever those stories are that I've chosen that will make me feel comfortable enough to sit there and – watch them scrape their knee if that's what happens
0: it's interesting you cited you had a brother who broke his arm is really traumatic for you so i do a lot in the health and wellness uh, industry my office is my studio here is in a medical building uh with a buddy and we had a lady come in one time working on allergies so generally to sort of make a quick example some people are allergic to bee stings, right? They get yeah. I get a bee sting and it's, you know, it hurts and whatever, and somebody else does and it's an anaphylactic, you know, type reaction. Yeah. And her work, and which I won't go into but just the concept is she said so often she can find out, she can go in and do this test and find out in this case, you're not actually your body is not literally allergic to a bee sting. But chances, but what you'll find is there was such an emotional response. You got a bee sting, your mom or dad, you know, whatever, who's terrified of bees just went ballistic and grabbed you up and raced you to the ER and the trauma of that, your body reacted to that and caused an allergy type response. And now today you are kind of, you do have a bad response, but it's not your body's genetic makeup. It was created through that trauma. And to me, that was just holy crap. That's it that opens up a can mind of worms. blowing, yeah, mind blowing, yeah, right? Totally. And this
1: is I need to. We can talk off, off, off camera about. I want to know more about that research. Yeah. Let's see. Yeah, see if I can look that up. But yeah, exactly. Like it is, and these things express and and it can be something so small, and and it is, and it's it's crazy when we think back, and and it's something that we don't often do. But when, and so one of the activities or one of the the, the actions that I hope people take through the course of, of reading this and, and internalizing it is to actually stop for a moment and look back on their life. And we will be shocked at how many stories we hold on to. So I can say, I, I say to, it, it comes up, I say, all right, let's, for example, did you ever have to do uh, physical fitness testing when you were in elementary school? Yeah. And everyone says, oh, yeah, yeah. And then the next, whether they're an athlete or whether they aren't, then the next question is, what do you remember? And each person will mention the most traumatic exercise in the physical fitness testing, even if they are an athlete. So for example, I asked my husband, who was a division one water polo player. He's a natural athlete, a trained athlete. I said, do you remember the physical fitness testing? And he said, yes. And it was so interesting because I thought he was just going to say, it was awesome. I was so great. I know all he could think about was the sit and reach because he wasn't flexible. Hmm. And that is the thing that stands out for him. Now, for a lot of people, it's climbing the ropes. For me, it was the uh, pull up bar. Right. But you can see it. So if you were to think back to that, even as you're listening to this or watching this right now, You can see it so clearly. Like I can see the pull-up bar from when I was a kid. I know exactly where it was. I know exactly what the sky, it was outside. I know what the sky looked like. I know what my first grade gym teacher looked like. Um, So how we hold on to these things. So yeah, you may not think on a daily basis about what happened that time you got stung by a bee, but Your body has internalized that story. And as this research is evidently pointing towards is responding still today.
0: You're going through this result, story response. uh, I mean, event story, response result. How much, this is what I was pondering um, last night, I think in in looking through the book more, how many of our stories or are, I almost want to say are all of our stories Are all my stories, I'll own it, crafted in a sense for my safety, that this event happened and and all the stories, negative, even the victimization stories that I may have on myself, uh, you just got me thinking, are they all crafted around this shell that I have made, all these stories? It's for my safety. It's for my persona. It's for my self-image. It's all I don't want to say selfish, but, but, but for safety reasons, as opposed to I'm not able, can I really step back and be unbiased with the event that happened outside of the story that I want to be okay in whatever way, shape or form?
1: I mean, this is make no mistake. This is our biological programming, right? Like our ability to tell stories as humans are what is responsible for the fact that our species evolved the way that they did. Now we often think about that as the stories we tell outwardly, but it's also the stories we tell ourselves and the entire goal of each one of us individually as a human is to, on a biological level is to live, to see another sunrise. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, and you've, you've if you have any experience with personal development, you've, you've heard that that is that that's what our brain is trying to do. and, And um, we've got to offset that or work through that. I do think that just having the awareness, or maybe not even the the awareness, but the aspect of curiosity of, wait, wait, I have this story. How is this story working to keep me safe? And just to ask yourself that question, just that curiosity opens up. So many, and we're all different as to how we feel safe, right? So, I like the what makes me feel safe is different than what makes you feel safe. Right. Or, for we were talking about husband-wife um, relationships, my money is a big story. So, in the book, which uh, I'm sure you know, I categor- I the third part of it is how do our self-stories. Um, how do they impact five key areas of our life? And money is a really big story. And when you bring two people together, for me, it's my husband and my wife, or my husband and myself, any partnership um, where two money stories are colliding. And my husband and I were just having a conversation just the other night about, we were talking about an investment property that we want to, anyway. And I said, well, what is it really all about? He's like, it's about debt, debt to income. So that is, that's a, that's a very common used term, right? Debt to income ratio, debt right. to, to income ratio. And I said, and so when you think about the debt to income ratio, what are you thinking about? He's like, well, the debts the you know, the mortgages, the, the financial draws from your financial place that, and that's what he focuses on for me. And so managing the debts is, is how he feels safe for me. I focus when I hear debt to income ratio, I'm thinking about the income. Like, how can I make more income? Where are the right? And so that, so I sound risky in a way to him, but for me, right? Like I'm not, the debts are always going to be, I have no idea where that story came Mm -hmm. from. Right. But just those two different, yeah, there's a lot to, there's a lot to unpack. Well,
0: you say in that, that I have no idea where that story came from. I'm I'm thinking about that. I mean, these are stories I'm living amongst stories that I have agreed with to some degree. I I, I agree subconsciously or consciously. And you told the story of your, um, shoot, I think it was your daughter. Uh, Or somebody who, uh, about the dogs that bowled bowled them over, and she's telling the story, and these dogs bowled me over. And you're saying, well, you got the story right, except that was your brother, not you. And I I thought, again, we talked about spouses, but I've had it happen with siblings and whatnot. You're back at a family gathering, and they tell some story, and I'm thinking, that could not be further from the truth of, of, of what I remember. Uh, and now I'm having to say that now because it used to just be that I thought they were nuts. Did you? Right. Are, you have made you are such a storyteller. And now you actually believe the story. And now I'm wondering, well, son of a gun, how do I? That was 40 years ago. And do mm. I? Rem, how do I remember what really? I don't. I'm. I'm I could be just as off base. And yet that's something that I have agreed with. And as you, you know, state, that is a story that is helping or hurting. My life, the, the product. Right. And that's, yeah, you, you mentioned the top. Show. Sometimes we actually need, you know, some, some significant therapy, but not even from some psychotic aspect of it. I've been curious in recent years of just, of just that some of the stories that did it really happen that way. Or what's bothered me really more is a lot of stories. I don't remember.
1: Yeah. And and I think that this is where from well for, first here's a little here's a little to do item for any of your important relationships be they personal be they um familial, professional, whenever a really great exercise is to is to get into a safe space with each other where this isn't, nobody's accusing anyone. You're not mad at it. This is not an airing of grievances, but rather an opportunity to exchange stories, not exchange okay. different stories, but to exchange the different versions of the same story and, and how, um, and and it, it it takes some art and finesse right to and self awareness to say, "Wow, I thought it was this way, and you are crazy uh instead of that to say, Whoa, okay, this is your this is your story, and this is my story. they're the same story. What can we take? what can we learn or if, for nothing else to understand that that's where they're coming from?" With that story, uh, and to know that each person is filled with with so many, so many different stories. But oh, there was something there was something that you had said right before that that um, I, that I wanted to speak to, and I lost. I, it. Well, I
0: want to pull something out there that this is a gr- so for everybody listening here, I, and I don't know exactly when the show is going to publish next to this other one, but I recently had on uh Andy Norman whose book is Mental Immunity and my primary focus is actually the second part of his book and it's on belief and to me it's a great tie in to everybody who's going to hear this podcast read the book a great tie in because he's taken to task our beliefs and how so many of our beliefs are not an unbiased belief it's not fact it's not a, an objective reality but it's a belief and we have kind of gone into the safety aspect we have attached it to our self image which Mm -hmm. is at a height with say religion or politics where we're, we're generally off the farm in looking at an objective reality because this thing is tied to me and to, Mm -hmm. to be able to, to in humility really to take it and put it on the table and be willing Mm -hmm. to sift it out. That's a big deal. And it feels like so much a part of this story. If I'm going to look at the stories of my life, be aware of them and have them open for maybe a reinterpretation. I got to, We're in deep water.
1: Yeah, and 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 I think that that is we. I hear the phrase thrown along around a lot, or see it as a quote on Instagram, or something that says "own your story," which you know can be taken a, a lot of different ways. But I think a really important, as we're talking about this right here, is there is power to owning your story for better or worse, and to say, well, you know, this is this is how I experienced that story. This is how this story has influenced my life, my decisions. This is the holes in that story. Here's how another, it's not, uh, it's not, it's not going to fit together like pieces in a puzzle. It's more like one of those, um, like a 3d, you know, it's not a 2d puzzle that you just put them all together. It's more like 3d fitting it together. And there's a lot more movement and, uh, well, I know that book that you mentioned was mental immunity, but I think there's it's flexibility as well.
0: Let me as a, as a, a bit of an anchor here to real quick, I'd love to hear you. I'm curious to have you address that. We are all today, you know, whenever people hear this, but for us here, we are today. We can look at the headlines, the media, the social media, the stuff that we can't not see and not be privy to, to some degree. And The, we are hearing stories um, Mm -hmm. and it's been more and more acute to me that Mm -hmm. as we've had some of these significant things like COVID and and race and gender and whatever things happen, that we have people out here on the front lines, lives devoted to really seeking out truths and, and goods and rights. And we have those people now, and that's a finite amount of people. All the rest of us are in here hearing not really what these people are finding out, but the people who are paid to shout and fight the loudest. It's like a lawyer battle. And that's what we're hearing. So we are hearing these stories. If I look at CNN or Fox News or USA Today I, or social media, I am hearing stories that I have no idea how far removed from the facts are. And yet we all have this, again, this belief that, oh my gosh, the world, America is going to hell in a handbasket, or man, we're prospering and everything's great nobody can prove much anything and we have to deal with these stories and decide how we're going to respond, what we're going to agree with.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I think it becomes even more challenging too, because in this, this uh, we have this sense that, that we have, because we have so much at our fingertips. Yeah. Uh, I feel like there is this sense that we know, we know, we know all there is to know as soon as we know it. Um, and I use the word. That's a great law. Almost as a, you know, as a, in quote yeah um, and so then we're supposed to we're supposed to form our opinion and we're supposed to whatever yep. it is
0: absolutely
1: um so a few things that so as a as a storyteller, both an outward storyteller because I you know I teach people to share their stories and and now, with this book, the workings of the inner story, there is power to know and this isn't it's not an insult it's it's not a it's not a criticism but it's it is all a story and so to know that you're he, knowing that you're hearing a story and it's not a lie that doesn't make it a lie right like we've been talking this whole time using the word story and never once has it been that's a lie that's untrue it's it is what it is so so there's a lot of power knowing that it is a story and to just then pause for a moment and say i wonder I wonder the other parts of this story or if I were to hear this story from just slightly turned from this angle, what would it sound like or slightly turned from this angle? What would it sound like? There were two moments in my life where uh, the storytelling, the power of stories in media and um, how that really impacts us were so profound. Number one was, was a political instance. I was in graduate school and it was a Bush Kerry and Kerry had just lost the election. And I remember I had my little TV in my room and they had, you know, the head campaign person from the Bush campaign and the head campaign person from the Kerry campaign and the Kerry campaign person said they just the Bush campaign just told a better story. And I was like, yes, (laughs) well, I don't understand how you don't see that like that there that and and we need to be telling now it is my strong belief that the stories you're telling should be true they should come from a place of honesty and goodness and and that is you know there's multiple sides to that as well but yes it is about the it is about the story because the stories stories are the most powerful force as humans that we have i will i will say that the second big um moment was during, uh, during COVID at the, at the beginning. And I my family and I were in New York City, right? We were the epicenter. We were living our lives here in an apartment on the Upper East Side, quarantined, going out, you know, the whole thing. And um, we would often go out to Central Park to, you know, just get fresh air. We were certainly allowed to do that. And I could always tell when there had been an announcement or some news story yeah. went out. Because all of my friends from all over the country, because I've lived in many places, i the the phone calls it would they would all come in within like three minutes of each other. It was, oh, how are you doing? Do you have food? Do you have and and I I go to the point where I would look at my husband. My kids would be you know running around. We'd be outside, um, and I would say, oh, there must have been there must have been a, a press conference, um, and. Of course, it was, it, was a, it was an uncertain time. It was a terrible time. But my life in that moment, my family was out running around in the park, making the best of a terrible situation, just like all of us were. Um, it, was, it, was an interesting, it was interesting to be on the receiving hmm. side in a different way of the media's portrayal of what was happening, if that makes sense. Recording stopped.
0: You just mentioned something and I got to continue on with that. There are the stories we're talking about the stories that we have, that we've agreed with, that we've engaged, we've embraced. We're talking about the stories that are out there in the media and we've got to, you know, this, Really well, and I want you to speak to it. How many of the stories that we are living that are not ours—that are mm-hmm. the—we could easily go to the expectations, you know, of, of parents and the exposure of our upbringing and whatnot. And how many stories? I think I'm continued to be surprised at how many stories I was given by other people that I just agreed with. And it's made me really sensitive. We've talked about parenting and, and kids to the stories I'm giving my kids, even to the point now of I'm really grateful for the opportunity with my, my more adult kids to say, look guys, you have lived under my story. I don't know how to not do that. The best I can do really is just to tell you, you've been living under my story. You've got to question it now and give that to them. But that's, uh, I mean, we're talking about expectations, stories we've been given that we just don't know not to believe and to agree with.
1: Yeah. And and it really is. um, I mean, there is there are the stories that we've been given that, yeah, we can maybe we're false all along. uh, And they were just handed down to us like, oh, you will get you will be seriously injured if you learn how to ride a bicycle uh, is a story that is possible that I could have handed down to my daughter if but. it weren't for my husband. Right. Um, there are also the stories that there are the stories that were true at one point and huh. are no longer true anymore because you have experienced growth. Um, hmm. And it, you know, I think the, I think the the main thing, to remember, to take away from this is, and and this goes all the way back to the beginning. Because if you are bumping up against uh, what an invisible barrier, right? You feel like uh, you feel like the puppy who's wearing the collar who can't figure out yeah. why you can't leave your yard, and you you have no idea that there has been invisible. That's a fencing, great, that's a great it.
0: analogy. Okay, so so
1: whenever you feel that like that confusion that the puppy would feel that is a sign to you that it's possible it's likely that you're you're dealing with you're dealing with some self stories that either don't fit anymore or never fit or 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 that definitely are no longer serving you and that is your cue to engage in that four part process, which is like, okay, what is, what is the belief that I have here? Where is this coming from? Analyze those stories, choose better ones and install them. So for example, recently I spent some time with my mother who I love. I was uh, very fortunate to be raised in a loving, supportive home. My parents are, have been married. I should know how long they've been married. It's either 40 years or 50 years. I'm not great at the math, but they've been married a long time. Um, and I was growing up, I was always a very intense child in that I was always extremely busy. I always, I was an overachiever. I made any project at school bigger, longer than it needed to be. I was in every club. At one point, my senior year of high school, I was taking two AP classes at once, just because. So I would go to half of one and then for the first half and then i would go to the other half or i would go to one for 3 days and then go to the other one for 2 and so it was um and as a result there were multiple times in my particularly my high school years where i had like physical ailments one one yeah. was a uh, pleurisy which is um, yeah. an illness that's only for older people where it's the inflammation of the cartilage between your ribs, but I was so stressed all the time that so busy, so full that my body just just went into hyper protest. I threw my back out several times. Um, and that was kind of how I lived and operated for a very long time. And my parents, especially when I was in high school, even when I was in graduate school, even those early years after I had left the house, but before I had made a home of my own, were in the front seat on that ride with me. Then I got married. I bought my own home. I had my own kids. I went on my own path. And they became secondary characters in my story, which meant that they didn't see the day-to-day work that I did on myself to pay attention to when I was pushing too hard, to pull back to say the discipline of saying no to things Uh, because it's how how, it's so much harder to say no, right. To just say, no, I don't want to go to coffee with you. No, I don't want to be on that committee. No, I don't need another, whatever it is. They didn't see that. And so recently my mother and I were together, there was this big opportunity that I was evaluating, uh, and definitely leaning towards, yes, it wasn't entirely my decision. In the end, the, um, opportunity didn't come to fruition, but, but I was, I was, I was on board. And my mother, I could tell, like, she was at my house and she was like, well, I just, I don't know. You always push yourself. I don't want you to push yourself so hard that then, you know, the big one comes. And I'm like, big one, what? Like, I get up, have a heart attack? Like, what are you saying about this? And I was feeling that, um, like, I was angry. I was frustrated. I was like, what? Mad at my mom. Like, you're mad at your mom when you're 17 years old. And then I realized what was actually happening she was operating from an outdated story, a story that was true, but it was old. And I had made significant progress. And it w- that had happened, but I had learned from those stories and had made changes in my life that now as an adult 40-year-old woman, I, I keep those things in check. And so after a couple of days of being really irritated with her, she was like staying in my house. It wasn't great. I was like, oh, then I realized I realized I haven't Updated my mother hmm. with the stories of the progress that I've made. And so she was stuck in an old one. Now, hmm. what could have happened if I hadn't realized that, if I hadn't been aware enough of my own, uh, A, catching that friction, B, being aware enough of where those stories were coming from, from her, knowing that those are a part of my history, uh, I very well could have based a decision out of fear of, oh my gosh, maybe she's right. She knows me better than anyone. Um, And that would have been the wrong way to base a decision. Those are decisions. When you make decisions that way, that leads to resentment. It deteriorates relationships. Because I know about stories, and now you will too, I was able to say, oh, hold on. And I wasn't mad at her. Once I figured this out, she just didn't have the stories. So I equipped her with specific moments in my life since being 18 years old and now being 40 where, no, I've learned from those stories. Here are the new ones. And we were able to come to a a very positive place. But it is when our stories, there's two sides to this. Our stories do exist in a vacuum. You are your stories. Like there, there is a very and I said it right at the beginning, it is very personal. It is yeah. very individualized. It is very intimate. There's no one else who in the world, it's, it, I would say more unique than a fingerprint or, or a snowflake or whatever you want. Is like the grains of sand. Each one of us are so unique in the stories that this, our bodies, our minds hold. So it is very much yours. And at the same time, it can't exist in a vacuum. Our stories are also woven into the people who have been in our lives, the places that we've lived, the things that we've done. And so balancing those two truths that are completely oppositional is is one of the reasons that it is kind of challenging, but also really exciting.
0: I like the word you used in the story with your mom that she was going on a story that was outdated Mm -hmm. because it speaks to so many of the stories we have, I have about myself are based on what I believe is true is, is proof. Like I have proof. No, no, no. I I really am the kind of guy who does it. I have, I have proof. I've done it over and over and over again. And, and, to some degree, it's really hard to paint that differently because I actually did that. I'm, I'm not a no regrets type person. I have plenty of things that even if I've redeemed them, I, I wouldn't go back and do that again because that hurts somebody. I, I have a regret. Yes. So I have proof that I have done this. But could it be outdated or can I – what you got me to thinking was can I just decide I'm going to outdate that sucker? And yep. and not do that, and it, so again, it's not discounting the past. It's not doing the Pollyanna type thing and no. trying to just oh paint that it was nice because it wasn't. But I can outdate that, and I also like that you made the effort, you cared enough for the integrity of the relationship to share that with your mother. How relevant would that be for a lot of us to not? go on her misinformation, but also to care enough about the relationship to say, look, I'm, I've am i changed or I am changing or I'm endeavoring to change with that story. I want to outdate that or it is outdated. That feels palatable. Like I, I can digest that.
1: Well, and, and here's the thing. You can't change a person, right? So like, I can't, I can't. I can. All I can do, you know, you can lead a horse to water. You can't yeah. make them drink. I can just give her the stories. It's entirely possible that she and she's my mother. Here's the thing. Again, go back to the stories that we default to. Sometimes we don't even recognize, as you were saying, our own updates, right? Because the story we default to is the one that is going to keep us the safest. Yeah. So it is the one that's gonna is going to like if we've updated and now we can do this thing and this thing and this thing. Our our humanness wants to keep us safe. So it's going to keep bringing you back until you physically retrain it or, or psychologically retrain it to adopt and refer to the updated one. The thing is, but with giving those stories to my mother, for example, in this situation, she may or may not update her story of me. Um And it could be frustrating in the future to be like, "Dude, I gave you those stories. Come on, update it." But this update has happened for me over the course of decades. I can't necessarily expect that. So, think about this from an interpersonal. As you said, you value the relationship enough. In doing this, I can also (laughs) allow for grace and to say because somewhere where relationships really fall apart is that you're mad at yourself. For for allowing their story to still have power over you. But once I figured that out, hers, that story had no more power. I was like, oh, I get it. I see where this is coming from. Okay. And she cares about. Me. But should we run into that challenge again, as it's known to do in relationships, I it doesn't have to destroy us. I can approach that with grace. And I don't even have to say it. I can just say in my own head, oh, there it is. It's that outdoor dated story again. She's so sweet. She's so precious. And, you know, offer it up and move on with my life without having it uh, tear the relationship
0: apart. Okay. On that outdated story, too, uh, you have me thinking about there's some stories I need to give. I just, the experience, maybe it was maybe it was an objective reality. Maybe it literally was. I literally experienced it. That is really what happened. But could I give it another chance? Uh, I was reading the book somewhere. I was thinking about with kids or with people. No, it was my kids. They were just with friends who don't eat vegetables. They just, I said, did, what, did you have it? He said, they just, they're never there. Not even like salad. They had one once, but nobody ate it but us. And I'm going, really? And it got me thinking about this story that, Let's take Brussels sprouts and asparagus, right? The ugly stepchildren of, of all vegetables. Yeah. And how many people... You're not a fan. Here. I know. Okay, I hold, can't. The with-
1: asparagus thing. I just can't do it.
0: It is a little... It can be... Well, hold on. Here's my story. Here's my story. Kendra. Okay. You okay, ready? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How many people have made that decision off the church potluck or the family Thanksgiving or whatever, and the Brussels sprouts and asparagus were, were horrific... They were slimy. They were bland. They were whatever. Oh, yeah. Now, let me make you some Brussels sprouts. And asparagus. If you ever come to Colorado, let me make you some. And uh, or, or I've got multiple people. And give it another chance. But how often can we apply that to life? We had this experience. What you experienced was legit. And if you experience it again, it'll be the same again. And you won't like it. But can you experience it a different way? And, okay.
1: Yeah. I, I think that there. So, first of all, in my defense, I love asparagus going in. I struggle with asparagus going out. It just makes me peace. Oh, it's disgusting. It is. So that's the only thing. That's Uh, that's, my problem with asparagus. I just like, so, so now I just like hold my breath when I go to the bathroom. I drink lots of water and it's fine. But so that's, I mean, lots of bodily as a guy, I try to do
0: it outside. If yeah I there can. you okay yeah, well, well
1: that would sorry. you would be in colorado that might be okay here yeah. in the city that would be a problem i'd be you the would, guy
0: in the corner <laughs> next to the pub <laughs> <know>. You would, <laughs> like you no would, officer I I, i'm not drunk it's just asparagus I think I,
1: it's just asparagus nobody wants and then he, and then you get even more trouble because even the officer would be like dude now the whole neighborhood's yeah, that's gonna
0: snap okay that's fair
1: so, but yeah so here's here's the reality if there is so you you know me, I'm the storyteller, so I'm going to use story. If, if there is a, if there's a story that you have that, um, is holding you back and, and it's time to retest it, right? Whether it's uh, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, asparagus. For me, it was skiing. Now I can't remember. It's likely that I told this story in the book, but I went on one ski trip in fourth grade and I went with my dad. He was a chaperone and, he was sp- supposed to be teaching me to ski and it was terrible. It was a terrible, terrible experience, uh, which I, many fathers and daughters I'm sure have had wonderful teaching to ski experiences. And I'm sure many equally as many have had terrible ones. That's what I did. And so a story was born that, Oh, you hate skiing. Right. And and I believe that story. He believed that story. It was just so fourth grade. And then, um, and then, I met my husband. He loves to ski. He grew up skiing. We got invited to go on a ski trip. Um, and he was like, well, I said, no, I hate to ski. And he said, when, was it, when have you ever gone skiing? I'm like, I went in fourth grade and I hated it. And he's like, uh, I don't think so. That's not going to cut it. Uh, you got to come skiing with us. So I went skiing and I did lessons and I really enjoyed the lesson. So I was like, Oh, okay. That was great. But that was pretty much the extent of it. And then we went skiing again a couple of years later with family and I'm like, okay, I'll try to, I'll try this again. And I, this time I did a lesson the first half of the day and then I went skiing the second half I was going down the hill and I can do it. I'm an athletic enough person. Like I can ski. It's, it's fine. I was going down the hill and and all these people are like whizzing by me. So it was, uh, not Colorado. It was, um, Utah it was Park City yeah. and people were just they were flying, but there was just, it was just chaos and <laughs> going down the hill. I can do it. I'm like, I just don't like this. I, this is not fun for me. Like, I just I do not want to be here right now. And and then you add into it like it's expensive. Skiing is expensive. It's so much work. And yeah. for me, it was just not worth it. And so and so I came to the same conclusion. I don't like skiing. However, it was – there were so many holes in that old story um, that it was – and it was important that I explored to see if I could update it because that's what my Michael said to me. He's like, no, I, our family is going to go on ski trips and you just can't say, no, I don't ski because that one time in fourth grade. But then after several opportunities for a new story, I just learned, you know what, I don't love – I don't love skiing and maybe if we go I'll take a lesson for half the day and then spend the other half of the day in the in the lodge and be perfectly happy with it. So it it is possible that yeah. you have stories, you test them and the stories stick. They they remain true and then that's but you can even tell as I tell this story. There's no um and that was the responses that I got from people after going through this process is they said life just felt smoother. There was less of the um, angst, the uh, tension, right? Because I'm like, yeah, you know what? I don't like skiing. And I can just say it with a smile on my face instead of, no, I don't like skiing. Uh, that defensiveness that comes with, with untested stories. No,
0: I I love that the spirit behind it, that again, if we look at those things, how many things have I agreed with based on that one negative experience or or whatnot, that now I'm going to give it another chance. Uh, and I might decide I still don't like that, but at least I'm in agreement with it. And there's some peace behind it. That's worth its weight in gold and just so you know we I'm I'm talking to you from the mountains of Colorado I know
1: I knew that I remembered that yeah, you said you invited me to Colorado some my
0: wife doesn't ski uh, okay. and she's tried and she wants to she just doesn't like it she doesn't like speed and the danger and yeah. she doesn't get it but she has said hey we'll go and I get to enjoy the hot tub you know and glass exactly. glass of wine and, and uh, I
1: I'm, and I'm still open to it could have just been the that particular Cause I did go skiing another time. Now that I think about it. it was in Santa Fe and the hill, it was just like a local hill. It wasn't, there weren't hundreds of people. And so I was like, you know, maybe I'm going to test that again. Cause I don't remember hating that. Yeah. Um, so I could try it again, but maybe it kind of depends on the environment as well. Like a quieter place versus. Yeah.
0: There's lots of activities, you know? Yeah. If, exactly. if, yeah if Why?
1: Why? Well, I mean,
0: so I, I do want, I do want to hear, I keep trying to anchor it, but there's just, there's just too much. Um, on our propensity, you talk to this a lot. It comes up in the, this is a self help show, so it comes up a lot. But just to hit on how much of our stories are weighted by influence, by flavored by our negativity bias, and you talked about you know you work in the media. If it bleeds, it leads has existed forever. Uh, yeah, it always has always will and as much as you want to be a good guy, I, I do have a, a a tab on my browser for it's I think it's like the good news media and I'll yeah. go there and it's just good news but it's kind of it's not real impacting stuff it's sweet stuff if you're going to go to the main media social media if it bleeds it leads it's always going to be that way and to think about that you got me just considering again how much of my story You know, we have those stats that 80% of our thoughts are negative. Yeah. Be that as it may, it it does seem to hold court. Yep. With the most gravity. And even just you giving us that awareness that the majority of your stories do, what's a way to say it, have a negative anchor. I mean, it's just what grabs our emotions.
1: Yeah. They are, again, we are, we are programmed to. Be safe. And so yeah. your brain is going to catalog yeah. and bring to the surface more frequently negative experiences. And, and it could be something as as small That's I told you at the beginning. I don't read the I don't read the reviews on the book right. um, because I know well enough that there could be, you know, 500, five-star, oh my gosh, this book changed my life, and two reviews that are that are like I, I tore it up and used it to cook rose marshmallows or even worse or whatever it was. And the yeah. two negative reviews are going to be the two that I remember.
0: I, I got and, two one-star scathing reviews for the podcast on Apple Podcasts uh, last month. Uh, yeah. lot, lots of great ones, but I couldn't tell you so, what the great ones say.
1: So that's just, so yeah. I mean, maybe on a day where I want to to, but see, I don't need to go to the comment section to know, to improve my writing. I have people who I trust, Mm -hmm. who are, who who I can send my writing to like on the next book and say, Hey, what do you think of this? Who, who've written books before, who have done a lot of reading or experts in this field who will give me um, the feedback, but, but back to the original, the original question. Yes. So this is, our brains are programmed to pay more attention to negative because we we learn more from negative experiences they we um we can take more away they just hold more weight which is fine and and i think that especially you know if you're someone and if you're listening to this now or watching this now certainly you're you're into this um personal development we can really beat ourselves up about the fact that we only Listen to the negative. Uh, I could beat myself up about the fact that I don't read my reviews because I don't want to read the negative ones and be like, "I need to have a thicker skin." Mm. I should, and so, so knowing, knowing that our stories shape so much of of our actions and therefore our, our results and therefore our lives, um, give yourself don't beat yourself up about the fact that you pay attention to the negative stories more. Just give yourself a nod that hey, you're it means you're a human. Bravo. However, what that what that knowledge then does show us is that we have to put additional effort into, which is the whole reason I wrote the book, the whole reason I did the research, we have to put additional effort into seeking out the positive stories. Uh, I see this a lot with people in... um myself included people who are personal who are growth oriented and there's the old phrase don't focus on the successes of yesterday don't tell me about you know don't tell me about the successes of yesterday what are you going to do tomorrow which is valid you can't you know you need to be thinking about tomorrow but if you never swear that becomes extremely detrimental if you never pay attention, if you never celebrate, if you never revisit, if you never write down, if you never retell even yourself the stories of your successes, the positive things that have happened to you, you're they're already more likely to be forgotten. You will never hear from them again, right? So we have to reorient, refocus our energy to go back and look at The successes that we've had, the the challenges we've overcome, and I'm even talking about in the the smallest the smallest moments. So, for example, there is a um, New York City right now. It's 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 no. So we can look at this in a different way, like a very uh, a concrete way. (laughs) Concrete jungle. Concrete. No, no pun intended. But in New York City, it's no surprise we do have a crime. We do have a crime issue uh i don't spend much time on the media but i spend a lot of time walking the streets and the streets are a little bit different as are the subways and um we recently we were taking our kids somewhere we took the subway because that's the best mode of transportation in so many instances and there was just a really sketchy scary guy on the subway and it was kind of it was an un- you know, uncomfortable situation we got the kids off we decided to take a different car anyway um But I know that that one negative story experience on the subway will stick with, and it wasn't even terrible, but it was just bad enough Mm -hmm. that that is what my kids will remember. Mm -hmm. That is what they'll think about. That is what will shape their decision about their experience with New York City in the subway. And so Mm -hmm. it was shaping mine. And so I made an additional effort then to pay attention to moments on the subway, which are most of them. Where someone is being helpful, where someone is being kind like just later that day we had to take the train back up and we're like running to catch the door I'm a mom I've got two kids and this guy like saw us trying to squeeze in before the doors closed and he like pushed a bunch of people back a little bit so we could jump on there was another time where I was trying to figure out if a train was going uptown or downtown and I could just pop my head in the car and being like are you going up or down and they're like downtown I'm like thanks I got to get uptown over here like these moments of people helping each other and showing kindness there are so many more of them. But my brain will focus on that one, right? That one negative one. And so whether it's the subway or whether it's entrepreneurial endeavors or whether it's relationships, it does require knowing what you know about your brain. It does require that you, because remember the stories you tell yourself are going to influence the actions you take, which will affect the results that you get, which will impact the life that you have. It's going to require that you spend more time on the positive ones. Seek them out. Retell yourself the small ones when they happen. Um, that's the lesson to take away. From and I'm there.
0: thinking, and as I'm sitting here, as you're talking, Kendra, and I'm thinking about the er- different areas of my life, as you go through in the book, that there are areas of my life, something bad happens and man, I can just brush by it. No big deal. I'm here. I'm, st- I'm Mr. Perseverance, discipline, you know, whatever. And yet in the other areas of my life where I am less secure. I am so prone to take that negative thing and go, I'm out, man. That happened. Yeah. Never a subway again. And it's that absolution. And I see that. And yet we want to classify somebody as, as doing that or not. And I'm looking at my own life and go, man, there are some areas where I'm not that at all. I am Mr. Perseverance. I can blow it off and go in this area. But over here, man, I am weak little church mouse and I'm an, I'm so have that propensity to make that absolution. And, you know, what you mentioned about, it made me think of Rick Hanson. I don't know if you know Rick Hanson. He wrote the book, yeah. hardwiring happiness and a bit, his primary t- takeaway I took from it. You know, we talk about gratitude journals and a lot of those things, but is, can I take that positive thing and go, Oh yeah, that's, that's awesome. And go, wait, stop. Let's sit in this. I gotta sit yes. in this for sixty seconds. Or I, one of the kids was yelling the other day, You gotta come see the sunset. And I just in the moment I just didn't want to. And I'm thinking that's the dumbest thing. What was I doing? Go out there and look where we live. And
1: revel it and revel, revel in, in it. it.
0: But I don't tend to do that. And yet we do it on the negative. I replay that a thousand times.
1: Uh Actually, I think it was a, I don't know if it, I'm imagining it was an interview with Matthew McConaughey in his book, uh, Green Lights. And he talked about his, you know, that whole book is written on his journal um, and his, his, his habit of journaling essentially. And one of the things that he said in that interview is he didn't just a journal and it really stood out to me. And of course, I was in the process of writing my own book. It wasn't just that he was journaling about when bad things happened, which is what so many of us do right we yeah. I write to work things out, yeah. um, but he made it a point to write about when amazing things happened mm-hmm. and and as I have you know in my adult years realized the i mean when I was younger, it was all about broken hearts. Um, that was all my journals, like starting in fourth grade all the way through college was just like my heart getting broken over and over again. Uh, but now as I'm older, um, really spending time on writing in my journal about things that were just amazing things that were so exciting. And, and I also use Instagram. I use social media, um, as a diary of sorts to write down. So even today, so I wrote a little story. I was walking to, I had an appointment to get to. So I walked to Second Avenue. I had to get down South. Second Avenue goes South. I was standing on the corner and apparently I was in some like taxi cab desert. There was not a cab for, I stood there for 10 minutes. I was going to be late for my appointment. I was so frustrated. And you could just you know, I got that visible, like, oh, what am I going to do? I don't want to open the app to call an Uber because as soon as I do that, then a cab is going to pull up. Then I've got to pay. Then I pay for both. Like, what am I? And I was just so – and all of a sudden, this guy in a delivery truck just makes – because I'm standing right on the corner, makes a turn. He's turning left, and he's so his face is, like, right by my face. And he says, they need to call you a limousine. Beautiful. And he just keeps driving because he's doing his own thing, you know, because he could tell he knows it's the body language of a New Yorker in a cab desert, can't yep. get a ride. And he's like, yep. they need to call you a limousine. <laughs> and I usually you just like now some people would be like, ah, that pig. But I I was like, you know what? I should just be taking limousines to all my appointments. It was such a wonderful. And so what I did, I got in the cab. I wrote it down in my notes mm-hmm. app. And that is going to be a caption on Instagram and fine, whatever. Instagram doesn't love captions. Well, actually if you write a story, Instagram likes when people write stories in their captions, but it becomes a, uh, it becomes a catalog for me of these really small, but beautiful moments that when you're losing faith in the world or in a specific area of your life, it's good to retrace your steps and and, uh, revel in the beauty of it all.
0: I don't know a better way to end than that, that, uh, to, to, especially as we're talking about our negativity bias, which I'm so much more aware of. So aware that we're inundated with the media of any type these days with, uh, negativity. If I'm going to write a better story that writes a better life that I need to focus on those beauties. Thank you kendra for being here thanks for the time on this extended show as people are listening i don't know that i've ever will have posted a show this long unless i break it up into two parts but it was just too much not to hit on so thanks for taking the making the effort to write this book and bring us back to the reality of our stories which write our lives i am a grateful recipient
1: oh so honored for this excellent conversation i i sense good stories in our future yes
0: Well, friends, I think that was significant. This is a show I'm sure I'm going to hear people say, oh my gosh, I listened to it again and maybe again, and I shared it with somebody. Again, you can find Kendra Hall's book and get more into this topic. It's called Choose Your Story, Change Your Life. You can get it anywhere, and you can connect with Kendra at KendraHall.com. Thanks again, as always, for choosing to tune into this self-helpful podcast. You got value from this show, this episode, leave a review, talk about it. And best of all, just do that. Talk about it with someone else at the dinner table tonight, tomorrow at work, on the phone during your commute. I sincerely hope I've helped you. Help yourself.